Hello friends, I am your humble host, and we are here with another great Gene Shepherd show for you. And this is this is really a great show. I heard it the other day and I said, "Wow, that is a fantastic this show has got everything you want when you listen to a Gene Shepherd show. The entire show is all a kid story from Gene Shepherd. Yeah, he doesn't waste any time. He gets right to it, which is unusual for Gene Shepherd. Usually he talks about a bunch of nonsense and then he gets to the actual story. Well, in this one, my goodness, he's going to get straight to the story. I guess he knew he, he had a lot to say on this one. And it's a great show. It was originally broadcast in 1971. And Gene Shepard is going to talk about Spicy Detective. There was a magazine called Spicy Detective. And I think I, I, think I remember seeing it on the stands. Spicy Detective always had these great covers. And uh, this is all about Spicy Detective ads. Ooh, yeah, Gene Shepard as a kid, he he got interested in them Spicy Detective magazines because, well, you can't help it looking at them covers. <laughs> oh, here's Gene Shepard from 1971 talking about the Spicy Detective. Uh, I am your humble host here on the Library of Sound. And now, Gene Shepard. Once again, introduce you to the strange land of the swirling mists of idea, fact, fiction, and myth, which lies just behind the great drifting cloud of idealism that occupies such a great part of the innermost recesses of the cortex of the mind. It was kind of well said, wasn't it? <laughs> I guess I couldn't put it better if it was myself. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was a beautiful tune. I, um, at times I, I don't know, you know, I just, uh, I just wonder well, who, what knows about me, where, how did it happen, at what point. Have you ever wondered, friends, what lists that your name is on? 
I mean, the list that you don't even know about. And you get the faint glimmers that uh, it must be pretty wild, those lists, by the kind of uh, junk mail that you get through the, you know, through the U.S. mails. No, I'm serious. Uh, the first time that I began to realize, you know, ever since I was a little kid, you know, I did a terrible thing once when I was a kid. I just have to admit it. It was an awful, embarrassing situation that, uh, well, I don't know whether I should, you know, say this and tell it with all these kids, you know, this kid's still up listening, and I just don't want to lead him down a primrose path, but one time I was working as a paper boy, see, I had this paper out, and uh, every morning I'd fold up my papers in this place where the guy had, the, you know, it was the papers, uh, George the Greek, he ran this place, and uh, he was in charge of all the papers. Well, he also sold magazines there. Well, one morning, I'm squatting down there, folding up my papers, and you can always tell how good a paper boy is by how tightly he can roll a paper. This is the criterion, right? Absolutely. I bet, I bet a lot of non-paper boys don't realize that that is the absolute criterion of a paper boy and also at how good, you know, his, his arm is. Uh, it's just like quarterbacks today. Of course, you know, pro football has become almost exclusively a variation of the old game we used to play called beanbag, which is a I'll throw and you catch it. See, that's uh, primarily what the... In fact, they even have a... Today, it's a, you know, the whole thing is a percentage of completions. Uh, hardly anybody worries about how far a runner runs or how much he... Or, you know, it's how many passes somebody throws and how many they catch. So the game really is a variation on beanbag. And uh, so uh, that's the way it was with being a paper boy. So roll this paper up real tight. And you, you of course, uh, there are the little satisfactions you have in your world. I, no matter what world you occupy, there are certain little unspoken satisfactions. And the world of the paper boy, at least when I had my paper route, I used to deliver the papers in the morning, like at the crack of dawn. Maybe five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, I'd stay out on the route. It's cold and windy, and riding through puddles. I was on this Elgin bicycle, and uh, the idea, of course, was to if you could go through your entire route without stopping your bike once, just by judicious sidearm tosses and overhand shots and rebounded shots, and uh, get your papers to the right place, always merely by throwing. You were really a top-flight paper boy. Of course, once in a while, one would sail up into the into the rain gutter of a house. Yeah, many a many a paper went up into there, and uh, once in a while, one would go right through the front door with the glass. Uh, <laughs> that happened to me twice, and occasionally you'd let one go, and and you'd get caught in a uh, you know in a side wind. You'd get caught, uh, you know, a quartering wind, and it would take the paper. And you wouldn't make adjustment for it, you know. It would take the paper over on the porch next door. That happens at times. But uh, these are all part of the paper boy's world. And one morning, I'm squatting down there, folding up my papers, sticking them in the bag. When I see next to me this rack of magazines, which had always been there, and it was on the second shelf of the rack of magazines. It was a magazine called Spicy Detective. Yes, Spicy Detective. I'll let that soak in for a while. Well, what it was was a was a spicy detective. Is all I can say. It was very spicy. There was damn little detecting, but a lot of spice. Oh yeah, fantastic! And so I I quickly my arm moved out like a snake, and I 
and I folded this copy of Spicy Detective into the copy of the Chicago Morning Tribune, which bills itself as the world's greatest newspaper. And it rarely lives up to that. Well, no, that's a fact. Uh, uh, these, these grandiose statements rarely... Uh, like the New York Times uh, prides itself on all the news that's fit to print. Well, I'm not so sure that the Times always lives up to that. I mean, because uh, it's just a fact that man is fallible. And uh, the New York Times is created by men. And we've got to remember that. It is not handed down from Olympus. It is created by men who put their socks on and take them off just like you do, have trouble finding a life boy in the shower and all the rest of it, see? And so this is true of the trib. Well, this morning I quickly folded a copy of Spicy Detective with a fantastic cover. Well, the cover showed a guy about to stab this chick, see? He had this big, giant knife and a fantastic dagger, see? And just as he's about to stab her, unfortunately, it seems that somebody had... Uh, had uh, probably in a, in, a, in a moment of excitement or possibly she got it caught in the door. I don't know. Somebody had ripped the top of her dress off. Yes, it was a mysterious thing. She was, uh, the top of the dress was ripped off, and she was exceedingly well endowed. Very well. Uh, yes, uh, remarkable. Uh, it was a remarkable uh, an achievement. I mean, uh, I have not seen anything quite like that. Well, uh, the closest that I've seen to that recently was, uh, you know, I just flew across country a couple of months back out to the coast, was I took a look at the Rockies with the snow on there, and that's about as close as I've seen. And she was really something. So this guy was about to plunge this dagger right there, you know, oh, fantastic. And you could see in the background, something had suddenly reached out of the side and had grasped him with green claws around the neck. It was talons. Well, yeah, the, the, the story, it says, see page 12 for this event. Well, I, I had to read that story. It's, it's, it's a story I could not... Uh, you know, a story that starts out with a cover with this chick with the top of her dress ripped off and this evil-looking guy about to plunge a dagger right down there in the page there. It was fantastic. And at the same time, this, this thing, it was a thing. It had green claws. Had, he was off the... You couldn't see him, so you could just see the claws coming out of the side of the... Out of the side of this uh, uh, beautiful, oh, it was about ten colors, this thing. This, it was a really lurid cover. And grabbed him by the Adam's apple, and his tongue was, uh, you know, like that. Just caught him at the, it's this thrilling, exciting story, The Case of the Green Claws. On page 12, Spicy Detective. Well, well, my mind said, echoing throughout the channels of desire and passion which had just recently awakened in me since I was 12 and was now a walking cake of Fleischmann's yeast with feet. The voice said, Well, well, you got to read that. That's a hell of a lot better than that reader they got down there at the Warren G. Harding School. So I, my hand lashed out like a, like a hooded cobra, zap! And just like that, into this paper was folded... Spicy Detective, the December issue featuring a book-length novelette entitled The Case of the Green Claws. Subtitle, The Rape of the Scaly Monster. Page 12. Well, I folded it into my Chicago Tribune. It's 5.30 in the morning. I stuck it in a sack 
and I go scooting out into the driving rain on my Elgin bicycle. I'm flinging these papers. I can hardly wait, you know, to get home. See, I, all paper boys know that you usually go out on the route with what maybe anywhere from four to six extra papers, always, in case, you know, one gets torn or falls in a puddle or something like that. See, so I'm out there and I'm flinging the papers up, flinging them one after the other, flinging them. I think, oh, God, boys, this is going to be fantastic. I'm going to hide this magazine down in the basement, see, where my old man kept all the used tires and stuff. And then, you know, odd moments, I'm going to go down there and finish this fantastic story, The Case of the Green Claws, The Rape of the Scaly Monster, <laughs> page 12. Oh, wow. I'm going to read about that chick with that fantastic superstructure. So I'm throwing this stuff up there. And, up, and I, have, I have one of my better days. There was one place about two-thirds of the way through my route that was a real acid test for the accuracy of a sidearm thrown Chicago Tribune. That's the sidearm division. The overhead division was another division. Uh, it was. It consisted of a, of a paper that I threw up a flight of stairs, like in a hallway. I would come right down the sidewalk, fling it right up like a half underhand, half sidearm, and would go right up the stairs, see, because the subscriber lived at the top of the stairs on the second landing. And always, right next to his door, was this big scrub pail. Well, I had set up in my mind every day that I would, I would try to can a basket. See, I would bounce it off the wall, and it would go, dunk, 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 into the scrub pail, see. Well, it was one of those days. Shepard was hitting. I'm telling you, when you're hot, you're hot. Man, when you're not, you're not. As the song says, when you are cold, you is cold. But I was hot. And first of all, you know, the case of the green... The Green Talons, The Rape of the Scaly Monster, and now, zap, I laid that baby up and whoosh, it whistled right up the stairs low and hard, you know, like the kind of like the kind of drives that Jack Nicholas gets off the second tee, you know, when he's really getting mad. Low and hard, it bounced off the wall, dunk, and it, I, see, it was a double bounce. I, it would not work, just one bounce. It had to bounce off one wall, hit the door, and then ricochet into the bucket. It went, dunk, dunk, dunk. Oh, God, Shepard. And in my mind, I wonder how many guys, even to this day, no matter how old they are, no matter how many things have happened to them in their life, they always secretly see themselves scoring points. So you take a candy wrapper and you roll it up and you toss it into the wastebasket. And the boy says, Shepard just canned two more points. I mean, it's a little fantasy. You, you have those, of course, once you do not, of course. I'm sorry. You're earthbound. Marty, you like so many people. Speaking of the Earthbound, that reminds me, this is W.O.R., friends, New York. Earthbound is all get out. But uh, you have a chance. You have a chance to flap your wings, friends. Don't forget now, these flying birds that we've been talking about are still on the scene, man. And if you're thinking, we had a special announcement here, if you're thinking of buying one of these 16-inch flying birds, <laughs> every time I think about him, I have to laugh. His name is Tim. It's a, Listen to this line. It says, as you watch Tim in flight, he becomes more than a simple plastic toy. He sure is. He will wheel, soar, dive, and silently glide on changing wind currents in a fantastic, really amazing imitation of the flight of birds. Anyway, these, these birds are beautiful, and they are based on the principles of aerodynamics as documented in 1483 by Leonardo da Vinci in his famous studies on the flight of birds. So here it is. And uh, if you want one of these fantastic little devices, they're three ninety eight per each. And if you order them now, 
if they get into the mail by December 9th, correct? 8th? 9th. You will get them in time for Christmas. Uh, so get them in the mail quick. Uh, they're three ninety eight apiece, and they really are wild, believe me. And they're guaranteed to fly. So send a check or money order to Flying Birds, Department S. 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 That's it. That's me. Flying Birds. Post Office Box 1909. 1909, which is uh, six years after the Wright, Wright brothers made their first flight. Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, 10017. And don't make the checks out to me. Make them out to Flying Birds. 398 per bird. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you make them out to me, I might well just do what I always do when a check comes in made out to me. You better believe it. So, uh, you run your own risk, friend. But that, nevertheless, when I think about that, that, that morning, I, I think about uh, maybe it was that day that I got myself into, uh, into trouble with the males. Yeah. Oh, yes. You've forgotten how I opened the show. I said, have you wondered about the mailing lists and stuff you've been on all of your life? Wondered how you got on them? Well, I have, even if you haven't. And I, 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 that morning, I threw this thing up on the, up on the porch, see, and I kept going. Oh, everything was working groovy. And I could hardly wait to get home, see, to read The Case of the Green Talons, The Rape of the Scaly Monster. Well, I finally got back to the, to the place where I'd started, you know, George, the place there. And I took my extra papers out, which one of them contained, of course, the copy of uh, Spicy Detective, and I turned in my change, I turned in my sack, which he kept there, and I went pedaling out down the street. It was not until the second period in school that day, when I carefully unwound the paper, that I realized that somewhere along the route, I had thrown my paper with the spicy detective in it into somebody's house. Just curious what they thought of the trip that morning. <laughs> Special rotograph section. <laughs> Colonel McCormick sends you pornies. Well, uh, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, I was really disappointed. You know, I, oh, you know, I, I, a terrible disappointment. So that afternoon, after school, I went back to the to, to George's candy shop. See, he was in charge of the papers. This, he was the guy. You know, there's all paper kids. You may not know it, but all paper kids work out of a central outfit, which is operated by an adult type, right? And he's in charge of it. So I go back to George's place. He was not used to seeing me there in the afternoons. I delivered the morning paper. So I come back in the place and I said, How are you, George? He said, What are you doing here? I saw nothing, George. I uh, just thought I'd come around and uh, buy myself a Baby Ruth candy bar. And he was always watching me, see? So I said, George, I'll have a Baby Ruth candy bar. He said, do you want the big size there, or do you want the, the little one? I said, um, I want to throw him off the track. Show him I was a sport. I said, give me the big one there, George. Put it on my bill. See, paper boys, we could run up, uh, you know, we could run up credit up to oh, as high as 12 cents. He'd let us go that high. Sure, you know, he trusted us. So I, I bought the candy bar, and I stood there, carefully peeled it, and I waited my instant, see, 
George was always getting mysterious phone calls. This is one thing about him. See, I think he was in another business. I'm not sure. Because he was always saying strange numbers like, uh, in the third? All right, I'll mark it down. Number seven in the third. All right. And he'd hang up. And he always kept little pieces of paper. And once in a while, guys would come in with wearing big white hats and black overcoats. So I didn't know. You know and so sure enough, the phone eh, and rings in the back. And George goes to the back of the candy counter to answer the phone. Well, I knew I had him. That instant, I heard him pick up the phone. My hand darted out like a shot and zap. zap. I had my second copy of the day of Spicy Detective. The mysterious case of the green talents. Yes, the rape of the scaly monster. Well, I spent a very interesting evening. One of the most interesting evenings in... Well, you know, have you ever heard shows on the radio and on television called Adventures in Reading? <laughs> well, there was talk about some dull book by Herman Woke or something, see? Well, I want to tell you, well, I'm sorry. The truth is truth. I'm sorry. I'm telling you, that was an adventure in reading. It was the first time I realized that there was something beyond Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. And there was. Now, I didn't understand a lot of this stuff. But due to the fact that we are all creatures of instinct, I realized that something great was going on here. Yeah, there was a big scene there where this detective said, Come here, baby. And that went from there, you know. And he says, uh, Yeah, I remember some of the actual lines. His name was Sam, this detective. And the Sam Slug or something like that. So, yeah, the, the beady-eyed, tough, hard-bitten, private eye, you know. Yeah, it always opened up. I'm sitting there at my desk when all of a sudden this big, bosomy blonde walked in. I stepped around a desk and I said, Come here, baby. I ripped the top of her dress from stem to stern. Five minutes later, we decided to talk about the case that she'd come in for. You know, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's great stuff. So uh, I, I'm reading that thing, and I, I go all the way through it, see. And in the back of the magazine were all these ads. Little ads for stuff I'd never seen. They, they just didn't have ads like this in the boy's life which I was a lifetime subscriber to at the time. You know, well, Boy's Life always ran stuff like a special on uh, brass compasses, in case you're lost in the woods. Or uh, the memoirs of Uncle Dan Beard, uh, that kind of stuff. You know, it was always advertised in the back of uh, Boy's Life. You ever seen these ads? Stuff like, uh, yes, build your own box kite. Plans, 10 cents, including, uh, you know, including special balsa wood. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Well, they had great ads in the back of this thing. One of, one immediately caught my eye. It said, Attention connoisseurs. Yes. Well, I didn't quite know what a connoisseur was, but it sounded dirty. It says, Attention connoisseurs. Art students. 50 Hollywood poses. For art students. For use in art studies. Fifty Hollywood poses, twenty-five cents. Send your name and address. You must be over twenty-one. To Department X, Starlet, Hollywood, California. It will be mailed in a plain brown sealed wrapper. Well, it just so happened that uh, 
my paper route uh, paid uh, roughly 36 to 42 cents a week. So naturally, I was rolling in dough, and I had easily a quarter to spare on Hollywood art lessons. So, well, I must admit that I sent off for that. I must admit. <laughs> yes, I did. I mean, I'm, I'm admitting it. No, no, nope, nope. I, I'll, I'll listen. I'll put my purience quotient up with the next guys. You know what purient means? Oh, yeah, that's your homework for tonight. You look it up. That means the ability to think dirty thoughts while on the run. And uh, my my uh, my uh, my ability to do that, I will match with anybody out there. If you think that you're good at that stuff, friends, I, I uh, believe me, I'm right up there with the best of them. And I started early. So I sent off the quarter, and I put on the... I couldn't figure out, see, how, how you could convince them you're 21. So uh, I wrote this note, uh, you know, just a little stuck in the bed. My name is uh, Jay Shepard, and uh, I am 21 and an art student. I figured that would convince them. And so, uh, well, it did. So I, 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 I stuck the quarter in this thing, and I sent it off. Well, by the way, I made a classic mistake. You see, the only stationery I had was my Donald Duck stationery which my Aunt Glenn had given to me for my birthday. It had Donald Duck on it. And uh, underneath it, it said Donald Ducky. And uh, on the outside, on the envelope, it had Donald Ducks all over it. See, so I sent it off. Didn't make any difference. I had to get that in the mail because I wanted to get them art studies. After all, I, I could uh, already see a whole history and uh, a great uh, career in art laying before me there. If I could get those studies, I could copy them. I could trace them. How many of you like to do some little tracing when you were a kid, see? So I sent them off. Well, nothing happened for a week. You know, every day I'd come rushing home looking to see if the mail was there. There's always a pile of bills and jazz, you know, never nothing. And uh, one day I came rushing home, and a strange thing had happened. My old man came home from the office at lunch, which he rarely ever did, and took the afternoon off. He was just sitting there with a funny look on his face. Must understand, his name is the same as mine. Do you follow what happened? That's right. I don't have to tell you what happened. Well, I, you know, I just felt... <laughs> I was first disappointed because I suspected he got him, but then I was, I, you know, I was going to brazen it out. I had nothing to do with it. He never said anything. Just never opened his trap about it. Wasn't until, uh, you know, I'm a grown-up type. I've been in the Army. I come back from the Army. One day I came home. I'm, You know, I'm in school now, college. I come back home one night, and there's the old man sitting at the kitchen table with a glass of beer. And we sit down, you know, I'm having a glass of beer with him. Yeah, and we're just talking about things in general, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he says, hey, he said, uh, have you ever uh, continued your art studies? <laughs> For a minute, I didn't remember. I said, art studies? Said, oh, man. He said, oh, boy. And he poured himself another beer. He said, I never knew art could be so exciting. 
said, uh, yeah, it must have been, Dad. I never got him. He says, well, if you want him, now I've saved them all these years. You can have them. <laughs> well, now, the point is, I don't want to tell you the rest of it. The point is, ever since that time, I've been getting mysterious things in the mail. My, my name must have gone into a great underground list of connoisseurs. I get special delivery letters from as far away as Stockholm. Spitzbergen. Yeah. The other day, for example, I got a magnificent catalog of uh, beautiful 8mm films. It says, uh, for the true connoisseur, Danish Girls in Action was called. Well, I've been pursued everywhere I go by this. And that's not all. Listen to this one I got. Now, how did I get on this list? I don't know. It must be allied to it. I want you to listen to what I got in the mail. Look at it. I am holding it aloft, there's. I'm, I'm filing it in my great file of 20th century trivia so that you will know what it was like. It is headed. It is true. The Amazing Secret. And I'll change the name here. The Amazing Secret of Ding Dong Power. Automatically. Give me a little echo chamber. Automatically brings you anything you desire. <laughs> And in ten seconds starts to draw riches, love, fine possession, friends, power, secret knowledge, and much more into your life. See for yourself. I'm sitting there at my desk today, and I open this thing up, and I oh, my God, this is what I've been waiting for all my life. Dear friend, a staggering miracle has happened. A brilliant psychic researcher has discovered a secret so powerful that it is said to bring your desires to you from the invisible world like a Blazing streak of lightning. Boom! Instantly. Yes. How would you like to be able to sit in your living room, your office, your home? Give the command for love and instantly have your loved one appear at your side. Or give the command for money. And suddenly find a big, thick roll of dollars right in your hand. Now, a daring new book called Ding Dong Power lays bare this magic secret and shows how it can bring fortune, love, and happiness. And the man who discovered it makes this shocking claim. Great Great wealth, 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 power, power, love, love, sex sex can be yours yours instantly. instantly. Holy smokes. Admittedly, this concept this book proposes is completely opposed and contrary to normal human knowledge and experience. Quote, but at this very moment, says the man who discovered it, I have startling proof that I want you to see with your own eyes. I want to show you how, one, diamonds and jewels have appeared seemingly out of nothing shortly after the use of this strange power. Two, how a man used this method for a pocket full of money instantly. Three, how a woman used it to fill an empty purse. Four, how a farmer received a pot full of gold. How another user teleported a golden jewel box to her seemingly out of thin air. Oh, man. How a woman used this method to regain her lost youth. How a man, growing bald, claims he renewed the growth of his hair with this secret. How a woman used it to bring her mate to her without asking. How another woman summoned a man to her out of thin air. How a man, on the other hand, 
summoned a beautiful woman out of thin air. She appeared suddenly in his office instantly, ready to obey his every wish. Holy smokes. My God. How a man heard the unspoken thoughts of others with this fantastic secret. How a woman saw behind walls and over great distances with it. And listen to this one. How a man broadcast silent commands that others had to obey. Now, I'm not kidding you. I'm quoting this mail absolutely word for word. I have not changed one word. You think I'm inventing it. I've not changed one word. This is it. This came in my mail. It says, I will now clearly demonstrate to you the scientific basis behind this new wonder-working miracle method of ding-dong power. Second page. Can't wait. What was that? It says, now, how ding-dong power brings any desire easily and automatically. Easily and automatically. You don't have to do anything. For many years, the man who invented this fantastic method dreamed of a way to call upon the invisible forces to work all around us. He spent a lifetime digging and searching for the secret. These investigations brought him knowledge that goes back to the dim recesses of the past. One day, to his astonishment, he discovered he could actually broadcast silent commands, which others instantly obeyed. Boy, that would be fantastic. Think about it, Fritz. Think what you could say to your boss. Give me a raise, you think. Give me a raise, you think. Make me a vice president, you think. And here's J.B. Bullard saying, he's sitting there saying he's de- de- giving a memo out to his chicks. And he says, Emily, take a memo. Uh, uh. Suddenly your instant command hits him. Uh, uh. Just a moment. Call Applerot in here instantly. Call him in right now. Applerot. And he gets you on the intercom. Applerot, you say, yes? Applerot, you are now a vice president and I have raised you to $500 a week. Is that enough? Uh, for the time being, uh, Bullard, for the time being. Thank you, Applerot. Controlled by your fantastic new ding-dong power. Yes, using a secret this man tells you about in his book, he tried it time after time. It never fails, commanding others to sleep, get up, come to him, talk or not talk, and act according to his silent wishes. It worked every time. And then, working relentlessly from this evidence, the man succeeded in perfecting a new kind of instrument called a ding-dong phototransmitter. My God, it's a new instrument that concentrates your thoughts and sends them like a streaking bullet to their destination. A streaking bullet, bullet faster, faster than the speed, speed of light, of light. Faster, faster than the speed of sound, sound. Faster, faster than a speeding than bullet. bullet. <laughs> Others obey silent commands. Writing of the success of this method, one user reports the following experience. This is a user. A user. Listen to what he says. I wilted. I wilted to pick up and eat a biscuit from a plate in a corner. I wilted through it. She did. <laughs> I wilted to shake hands with her mother. She rushed to her mother and stroked her hands. Then I wilted to nod. She stood still and bent her head. I willed her to clap her hands, play a note on a piano, write her name, all of which she did. Afterwards, I willed her to do other things. Well, no one can escape the power of this method, says the inventor. 
everybody, high or low, ignorant or wise, are all subject to its fantastic spell. And unless the person is told what's being done, he will think that the thoughts are his own. Good heavens. Wowee. I sat there for a minute, and I looked up at that air conditioning unit in the office, which is the first air conditioning unit I ever saw that spits blue memos out. Memos come right out of the air conditioning unit, hour after hour in our office. I thought what I could do with this method. If I had one of them ding-dong photo transmitters, I could really go to, really go to town. You want to hear what else it does now? Experimenting further with this new transmitter, the man who invented it soon found that he could tune in and hear the unspoken thoughts of others. Just tune them in. You hear what them thinks are thinking about you. He says, and we quote here at first, these hearing impressions startled me. It's amazing. And I took them for actual speech until I realized that people don't usually say such things aloud and their lips remained closed. I realized I was tuned into their actual thoughts. And then he discovered he could pick up actual sights from behind walls and over great distances. He could tune into other countries. When he tuned in, he could see actual living scenes before him as clear as the pictures on a television screen in, in color. 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 do with one of these babies. You could listen to people talk in their mind. You could see scenes all over the world in very private situations, in color. <laughs> yes, with mounting excitement, the man launched one of the most exciting experiments in the history of man. He wanted to see if his transmitter could bring him an actual material object. He chose for this Daring experiment, the seemingly impossible, an actual living person. Do you realize what I've just said? He sat at his desk and turned the lights low. And then he began to focus the transmitter by dialing the object of his desire. In a flash, the door burst open! And there, standing before him, as real as life, was his long-lost cousin. What a letdown. His long-lost cousin. He stared and rubbed his eyes and looked again. And there, smiling, with arms outstretched in greeting, stood living proof. Of the, of the most, most astounding, astounding discovery, discovery of the 20th, of the 20th century. century. Good Lord. Well, I couldn't help but read on. I mean, you get this kind of stuff in the mail. You read it, friends. I mean, you don't just throw this out. And the next line says, simply fill out and mail the enclosed card, which requires no stamp. And the transmitter will be sent to you immediately without cost or obligation for 10 days free trial. Dial any treasure. You'll see how to use the transmitter to summon your desires to special instrument. Your mental equipment requires no wires, no electricity. Yet, says the inventor, yet, 
It can teleport desires swiftly from the invisible world, wherever it might be. When you dial your desire, whether for riches, love, or secret knowledge, you capture its invisible protoplasmic form, at which point it starts to materialize. You can't argue with that kind of science. That makes sense, says the inventor. Yes, ding-dong power can work seeming miracles in your life, says the inventor. With it, it is possible to dial any desire. And then sit back. Relax. And watch this fantastic secret power go to work. And then, instantly, instantly your life, life, life is, is changed! Is there a man among you out there who would not like to have his life right now at this minute changed instantly into a fantastic form where you have all knowledge, all riches? You have power over everything in the world just by the dialing on a machine, of course. With this secret, the mightiest force in the universe is at your command. Simply ask for anything you want, <laughs> says the inventor, whether it be riches, love, fine possessions, power, friends, or secret knowledge. Suppose you had dialed number two. For jewels, for example, on the machine. This is what Margaret G. did in an actual example. Rich, glittering diamonds and jewels literally suddenly appeared at her feet. A pair of golden earrings, which she found that morning. A surprise gift of a pearl necklace. A matching silver bracelet. A beautiful platinum ring set with emeralds and diamonds. Dropped Drop on her front lawn. lawn. Dropped on her front lawn, my God. Almost overnight. It can start to multiply riches, bring love, romance, draw favors, gifts, new desires, bring a pocket full of money. You'll see how Jerry D. used this method. He was broke a week before payday. All he did was to dial number one. Suddenly, he felt a large bulge in his pocket. Lo and behold, he took out a huge roll of money. Fives, tens, twenties, and more. Fifties, hundreds. Oh, it was fantastic. Obviously, it had been placed there, but where and by whom? Marty C., a tag driver, a taxi driver, reports that he just dialed form number four. Sat back, relaxed, sipped at his beer and waited for things to happen. And then suddenly, in a short time, almost minutes later, a great excitement filled the house. His wife hurried in saying, We want it! We want it! We want a car! We want a cash prize! They just delivered it! He got up and went to the window, and there, big and beautiful, standing in the driveway, was a brand new Cadillac Eldorado, the very thing he had asked the machine to send him. God, I was shaking with a shaking with a leap. I'm just shaking like you know, I'm just sitting there shaking like a leap, and I the back page it says you can have this entire fantastic power for just seven ninety five. Satisfaction guaranteed. Seven ninety five. I can control the world. Seven dollars and ninety five cents, and I get a ten day free trial. <laughs> then I put it down. I thought, well, I remembered back to something I heard once. How many of you heard this power corrupts? I decided to turn it down. Power corrupts. I don't want to be corrupted. I want to remain a simple person. I don't want to control all of you people out there for just $7.95. You know, 
I just turned that one down. And by God, the next day I got another one in the mail. It says, the time has come for your rewards. Prepare to be uplifted to a whole new lifetime of wealth, joy, and happiness when the cosmic guardian, the cosmic guardian, answer your call. Then I began to realize I'm on some ding-dong list. I mean, does it trace back to that day when I stole the spicy detective? I read the story of the... Yes, the case of the Green Talons, the rape of the skating monster, sending that ad to Department X, <laughs> Starlets, Hollywood, California. I don't know. I don't know, but somewhere up there, somebody has sensed that I am looking for instant, immediate, total power and riches. And all I want to do is dial number 12 and take over the state of West Virginia instantly by telepower and just turn them into a tool of my own desires molding the entire city of New York like plastic putty. <laughs> like silly plastic. <laughs> John, Lindsay, Lindsay, you will appoint me as commissioner in charge of everything. <laughs> no, no, it will not happen. No, it's because I'm a simple person, basically at heart, that I do not wish to be corrupted. I have turned down these fantastic offers. No, I will plot my simple, humble way. I want to be one of the troops. I just want to be one of the troops down there with the peoples. Plotting my way up the great rainbow arc of happiness, looking for the great pot of gold at the end of the... There you have it, Gene Shepard from 1971. Gene Shepard at his very best here on the Library of Sound. I am your humble host. I know you like that Gene Shepard show. I ain't even going to say I hope you liked it. If you didn't like it, you have no business listening. <laughs> well, friends, that'll do it for today. I am your humble host for Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound, the Gene Shepard edition staying so long for now. Goodbye, everybody.